Greetings, Super Team, and welcome to Short Form the Podcast. I am your host, Joe Awesome Pants Loper. Thank you for joining me. This is episode three. I'm excited. We have a lot to talk about. The clock is running. It is ticking away mercilessly as we speak. So I'm going to jump right in. I have quite a few things I want to talk about today. And uh, I have some things that uh, I think might take me a little time to get through. So we're going to jump right in with both feet. I was reading this week an op-ed piece or a collection of op-ed pieces in the New York Times about the U.S. educational system. And the question that they were all centered around is, what is school for? Now, I know, first thought in your head, which I completely understand, is how can I party and live such an amazing lifestyle that much and still be a functioning human? It honestly doesn't make sense. But, you know, all I can say is life isn't fair and some of us are born to be rock stars. Now, the essays ranged all over. You know, the education system is a glorified daycare and just allows parents to go do their their jobs and come back to their kids and such, all the way to the education being a necessary part of a republic that builds new citizens. So very erratic opinions. Um, They're all over the map. But it got me thinking about, you know, what are we really asking here? And all of this, of course, is brought to the forefront because of the pandemic. A lot of studies are being released about the damage that was done from kids staying at home and being in Zoom for so long and being online classes and whatnot. But I think the real question that we're asking, is the education, you know, being taught to children really of any use? And, or maybe more directly, is it worth keeping? Is the education system worth keeping? Now, this led me down the rabbit hole of how it all started with Horseman and others to create, you know, schools in Massachusetts to educate, you know, unruly children and things like that. And that's a whole nother episode. We're not even going to go near that. But during my research, it did lead me to a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to Charles Yancey in 1816. Now, the majority of the letter was about local projects and business of that time. But towards the end, Jefferson focuses on the need for schools, and he even suggests that they be funded by, you know, a possible tax on citizens. Now, my instinct to the question, you know, is our education system teaching kids something that they can use? Is it being useful? My personal opinion is, you know, obviously I am a recipient of that education. I don't believe it is. Not to the extent of giving children you know, a chance to grow as individuals and building leaders of tomorrow and, you know, like a free exchange of ideas in a place where they're not being weighed down by society's, you know, demands and the the, the functionalities of the political system, which is really what our school system is being turned into. And a lot of attention is being paid to STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, which is an absolute. I I don't think in any way, shape, or form that we should abandon it. I think that's very important. But, you know, to articulate why it's important that we, we do more to stay informed, and it's not just about information. It's about what we do with that information. How do we... How do we process it? How do we understand it? Because we're inundated with information constantly. It's an avalanche of it. So the, the need is to create an education or give people an education that not only 
you know, educates them in the fundamentals, but also gives them the ability to learn on their own. How do you teach someone to learn on their own? Because we live in a world where that's, I think, where that's essentially necessary because we're constantly being thrown new things and the new technologies, new information, massive challenges on a global scale. Now, one of my favorite shows, you knew I was going to throw some kind of TV movie reference. One of my favorite shows is The Newsroom, and it aired around 2012 on HBO. And the pilot episode has, starts off with Jeff Daniels' character, Will McAvoy, and they're at this sort of panel at a university, and they're answering questions, and I think there's a moderator who's answering, asking questions. But at a certain point, they start fielding questions from the students who are in attendance. And at a certain point, uh, one of the students stands up, this young lady, and asks the panel as a whole to sum up in maybe a sentence or two why America is the greatest country in the world. Now, the other two panelists give some sort of answer, and they're not, obviously this is a TV show, it's sort of set up to be glib and give Will McAvoy a chance to shine. So we have to take that into consideration. There is some dramatic, dramaticism here. And Aaron, this is written by Aaron Sorkin, by the way, who I think is one of the most amazing writers, gifted, and prolific storytellers of the 21st century. I truly think he is an artist in his, in his writing. Now, he eviscerates, Will McAvoy eviscerates his two fellow panelists for their answers. And then he moves on to the girl who just asked him the question. Now, obviously, he's contentious, as you'll here when I read parts of what his response. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read the parts I think apply to what we're talking about today. So he's talking to the girl and you, sorority girl. Yeah. Just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there are some things you should know. And one of them is that there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending. And he talks about, you know, how we spend more and all this other stuff, and he kind of attacks her. But essentially he says, so when you ask me what's the, what makes us the greatest country in the world, he, he doesn't know. And then he goes into this last section where he talks about kind of reminisces of what it used to be. And see, we fought for more reasons. We passed and struck down laws for more reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. And I'm Gonna, I'm just kind of skipping around to the parts that I think apply to what we're talking about today. And one of the last things he says, and we were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed. Now, that I think sums up my thought process about the second question that I asked, you know, should we keep the education system? Is it worth keeping? And I think absolutely. And my Again, my thought is, <laughs> I'm kind of cheating today because I'm using these other people's words, but they just so clearly state so much more eloquently than I ever could. And this is what Thomas Jefferson wrote when he was speaking about the need for schools to be set up. 
If a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. The functionaries of every government have propensities to command at will the liberty and property of their constituents. There is no safe deposit for these but with the people themselves, nor can they be safe with them without information. Where the press is free and every man able to read, all is safe. Now, the first part of this talks about if a nation expects to be free and ignorant in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. I think that's fairly obvious. The next section, the functionaries of every government have propensities to command at will the liberty and property of their constituents. What he's saying is that the elected government, even though it's elected, still has the ability to force its will on the people that elected. It has, a, it has the ability to create a system that is not what the people wanted. What he says next is about how the citizens have the responsibility and the ability to keep their government in check. There is no safe deposit for these, but with the people themselves, nor can they be safe with them without information. So it's the people's responsibility, and they can't do it without information, without education. And the last line just, I think, puts it all into clarity. Where the press is free and every man able to read, all is safe. So not only is it, you know, where the press is free, they can report things, information, goings on to the populace, but that every person is able to read it. And by reading it, the idea is there is that you can understand it. You can comprehend it. You, you know what to do with it and how to act on it. Again, going back to what I call an everyday leader. And I think what this does for me is clarifies that ultimately we need a place to educate children in a way that enables them to be the leaders of tomorrow. We are giving them the tools and information and education necessary to be the thinkers of tomorrow, but we're equipping them to handle the challenges of today because the challenges today are just epic. I, I don't know how a standardized system that is designed to bring students up to a minimum level can do that. I, I don't know how that functions. I don't know about you. I personally have never used the Pythagorean theory after geometry class, ever. I'm just saying. So my question this week is, should we, you know, as we decide to keep the education system, my question is, what can we do to affect the changes needed without destroying the system as it is? Now, obviously that's easy and we should be able to figure this out and, you know, maybe the next two, three days. It's... It's something that has plagued this country for many decades. And I think Seth Godin does some great discussions about this. He's written about it quite a bit in his books and in a lot of his talks where he uses the term, you know, people becoming artists in their work. And he doesn't mean the Webster Dictionary version of artists. What he means is, is that everyone caring so much about their work and wanting to be of service that they approach their work like an artist. Someone who is creating something as a gift for others to appreciate and improve their lives. And if everybody approaches things that way, then everybody wins. And I, I think that's literally where we need to lead our education system because if that's what kids are learning from a young age, then that's what they know going forward. I cannot believe that I have a minute or so left. I'm really surprised I got through all that. 
that was a lot to take in. As always, I want you to take this and foster, you know, hopefully it fosters your own conversations, your own Socratic approach to life and discuss. That is it for me. I wish you the best. Know again that there is always somebody out there that is wanting you to succeed and that you're loved and I wish the best for you. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your local politicians about the podcast. You be my best, my bestest friend. To my three loyal listeners, I'm going to name you Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus, because I love you so much for being so dedicated. If you don't know why I named them that, you have to listen to previous episodes. That's it for me. Thanks so much for listening, and I will catch you guys in the next episode.